Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Gianna Malillo, Assistant Editor at the American Journal of Managed Care. Chronic musculoskeletal pain costs the United States hundreds of billions of dollars each year. Now with the COVID-19 pandemic, healthcare providers are tasked with providing optimal care to patients while minimizing human contact as much as possible. On this episode of Managed Care Cast, we speak with Dr. Jeffrey Krauss, Chief Medical Officer of Hinge Health and Stanford Clinical Assistant Professor. In a study Dr. Krauss co-wrote entitled, Digital Care for Chronic Musculoskeletal Pain, 10,000 Participant Longitudinal Cohort Study, researchers evaluated the efficacy of a 12-week digital care program aimed to reduce lower back and knee pain in a real-world population. According to authors, the results support the prospect for digital care programs to serve the overwhelming number of musculoskeletal pain sufferers worldwide. Welcome to Manage Carecast, Dr. Krauss. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving us a brief overview of the work that you do? Sure. Thanks, Gianna. Yeah, my name is Jeff Krauss. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Hinge Health, uh, where I focus on uh, clinical product uh, research work at the company. Uh, That is my full-time position, uh, but I also do part-time work uh, as a clinician. I I practice uh, doing musculoskeletal medicine at the VA hospital in Palo Alto, and then I'm also a affiliated uh, professor in the Department of Orthopedics at Stanford University. Can you just explain the objective of the study and why you chose to investigate a digital care program specifically? Yeah, the objective of the study uh, was to follow on to some previous randomized controlled trials that we had done and to see if those results would uh, hold at scale. Um, So we had done two randomized control trials, one for uh, patients with knee pain and one for those with back pain uh, against control groups and had shown effectiveness there. But both of those trials were relatively small uh, and uh, under 200 people. And we were uh, trying to see whether those results would continue to hold once we had far more people going through the program. So we, uh, when we reached 10,000 users who had completed the Hinge Health program, uh, which was in May of 2019, uh, we took an extract uh, from that data and did an observational analysis um, of all the users that had completed the program. Why did you choose to focus on knee and back pain specifically? Well, the Hinge Health program is focused on chronic musculoskeletal pain. And uh, so the two most common areas uh, are chronic back pain and chronic knee pain. Uh, And so those are the first two uh, conditions that Hinge Health started with. Um, Over time, we have also added hip, shoulder, and neck programs. But in this particular study, uh, the program was only available to people with chronic knee or back pain. What were the main findings of the study and were there any that surprised you? So it was a pretty broad study. So there were a number of different findings. Um, the, the main finding was that uh, across the population, we had an average uh, visual analog scale pain reduction of 68.45%. 
uh, between baseline and, and final uh, pain scores. Uh, so what, what that was telling us was that the results that we were seeing in the previous randomized control trials uh, were holding up once we got to thousands of, of people going through the program. Uh, so pain was the main outcome. In addition to that uh, average pain reduction, we also saw that if you're looking at the minimally important change, which we defined as either a vast pain reduction of 20 points or 30% with respect to the baseline, we had 78.6% uh, of the people who completed the program achieve that minimally important change. And if you looked at all starters of the program, we had 69.6% uh, uh, of all participants who started were able to achieve that minimally important change. I think the takeaway was that there was a quite substantial pain reduction in, that, in, in the population. But as I said, it was broad, and we also looked at a number of other measures. So uh, we looked at depression and anxiety. We used the PHQ-9 and the GAD-7, respectively. For both of those, coincidentally, they showed uh, approximately a 58% reduction in depression and anxiety scores for people who started with depression or anxiety symptoms. Um, so those are people who had over a five uh, uh, on those scores, uh, then fell by 58% in terms of their symptom severity. That was also really interesting. Although we've uh, seen it in our internal data in the past, um, it was really interesting to see that finding as well uh, apply sort of across the whole population. And that was really fascinating for us because we know that there's a really strong link between uh, chronic pain and mental health conditions such as depression and anxiety. And that was just one more piece of evidence uh, showing that those two are, are very strongly connected. And uh, the mechanisms, of course, don't come out in an observational study, but it was a, uh, a finding that we were, that reinforces the approach that we take, which is very holistic in terms of treating uh, pain. Other aspects of what we saw in the study were that about 73% of people who started uh, ended up completing the program. And we defined it completion as reaching the, the third month of the program. So at, at the time, it was a 12-week program. And so people who reached week nine or later were defined as completers. Those people had an average of about 35 exercise therapy sessions that they did over the course of the program. And we were also able to associate the amount of activity that somebody did with the actual pain reduction that they achieved. So there was a, a direct statistically significant correlation between the more exercise sessions uh, and the pain reduction. Furthermore, we have a, uh, health coaches that support people through the program. And we were also able to show that correlation as well between uh, more coaching sessions, uh, more involvement between a patient and a coach, and more pain reduction. So I think those were, those were most of the areas that we looked at. Other smaller things that we looked at were uh, workplace productivity uh, using the uh, WPAI scale, and that there we saw a 61% increase, increase in productivity. And then lastly, uh, we do ask patients about their satisfaction with the program. And so that was also quite high. We, we do a net promoter score 
and found that it was a positive 64, you know, and that, that scale goes from negative 100 to positive 100. So we found that people not only are getting better doing this kind of program, but also uh, really enjoy participation. As you mentioned, participants demonstrated high completion and engagement rates, and there is a significant positive relationship between engagement and pain reduction. In your study, you mentioned that this finding hadn't been previously demonstrated in the digital care program. Why do you think that your program had such high completion and engagement rates? I would say for a few reasons. So uh, first, we put a lot of effort into the usability and the design of the program itself. So uh, when people sign up, they get a kit in the mail. It's self-contained. It has a tablet and sensors. Those are all easy to use. It's pre-configured. And then there's a lot of usability work that goes into uh, the program so that it's, it's really easy for people to do. It's also enjoyable. Uh, there's just little, little features in there that uh, make it a lot more fun than just simply doing a standard exercise program. The other really big aspect, uh, I think, is that we have uh, human health coaches, and each uh, patient is assigned to a health coach, and that health coach interacts very frequently uh, with the patient. And so they're going to be reaching out to them once or twice a week to check in. The coach can see uh, how engaged a patient is in the program, and if they're not engaged, they can reach out and try and figure out what's going on and, and help them to get back in. So I think in many ways that coaching is really the secret sauce. Uh, they can, coaches can reach out to individuals, they can help motivate them, they can increase their ability to do the program, they can brainstorm ways with them to, uh, you know, so that, they, that patients don't forget to do the exercises. They're also an accountability partner, so that, you know, just having someone who is uh, you know, for a patient to know that somebody is out there and, and watching and cares about their success, I think is really motivating for a lot of people. Those would probably be the two main things I would say is in terms of just the usability of the program. The human health coaches, uh, I think, are really critical in achieving that engagement. And I guess the last piece I would, I would mention is that uh, there's a lot of education in the program that is constantly delivered with some key messages. And I think a lot of times people don't do their exercises uh, because they're afraid or they have various misconceptions. And so I think the fact that we're able to educate patients on an ongoing basis and reinforce key messages also keeps them engaged and uh, feeling like this program is, is the right thing for them. How did these results compare with those of in-person conservative care programs? Obviously, there's many different types of in-person care programs. Um, and so it's, it's very hard to give a specific uh, number that says, you know, this is how uh, this program does in, in relation to those. That being said, uh, the results that, that we saw were certainly really strong in comparison to all of the published literature that's out there in, um, in randomized trials and in other types of studies in the literature. When we looked uh, throughout the literature at similar studies and similar time frames uh, for knee uh, osteoarthritis studies, we were seeing most studies uh, with a VAS pain reduction of in the range of 
19 to 48 uh, percent, and back pain improvements in the range of 29 to 53 percent, with a 68.45 percent reduction. That certainly compares favorably with those studies. There was also uh, another systematic review of randomized trials for low back pain, um, and that shown as a standardized mean difference. Uh, between groups. And so that was a, a 1.07 standardized mean difference at 13 weeks uh, in across that systematic review, whereas we saw a 1.37 standardized mean difference uh, for pain reduction at 12 weeks in this study. So there's no simple answer since in-person programs are all different, but clearly the results here compare favorably to anything that we see out in the literature. And I would just comment on that, you know, from my own personal experience. Uh, and that is when I, I see patients at the VA in a musculoskeletal clinic, and I often feel that there's limited amount that I can do in, in a visit with a patient. So, you know, I can uh, review imaging, I can give them some education, I can prescribe medications or therapies. Uh, I can do an injection, but in many ways, what people need is ongoing support between doctor's visits or between other therapy visits. And so I think what we're doing here is just simply uh, staying with the user between times when they're not coming into the medical system and, and seeing a clinician. Um, so many people, you know, even though much of what we're doing is similar to uh, physical therapy exercises, so many people that we prescribe physical therapy to either don't ever start doing it, or if they do it, they don't do it, uh, the exercises at home, or they're not uh, generally adherent to the program. And so I think what we're doing here is not, we're not reinventing the wheel in any way, but it's simply a better way of delivering that care, which we already know works. So in particular, we're getting people to move, you know, to do an exercise program uh, similar to physical therapy type exercises. We are also, you know, giving them that education that if I give to somebody in the clinic, uh, I think a lot of times it goes in one ear and, and out the other. But if we're able to reinforce those messages on an ongoing basis, then they tend to sink in. And then we support the behavioral health uh, aspects. So, you know, that is something that's very hard to do in a short clinic visit with a patient, either for, for doctors, for physical therapists, you know, a lot of patients with chronic pain, which is so tied into mental and behavioral health, uh, don't get that ongoing behavioral health support. And so I think that's the, the last piece of, of what we're providing on an ongoing basis, which makes the program so effective compared to traditional in-person care. Now, in your study, you provided all the individuals with a tablet computer with the Hinge Health app installed. And previous studies have found that chronic pain is more prevalent among adults living in poverty, adults with less than a high school education, and adults with public health insurance. Do you think that these advances in digital health, such as your digital care program, may leave behind a significant cohort of Americans who may not be able to afford adequate internet access at all times? It's a really important question. The 
reason that we ship the program with uh, the tablets is because we realize that not everybody has access to the technology. So uh, we now offer the program also through somebody's smartphone, but we continue to ship the tablet, realizing that not everybody has access uh, to the same level of technology. In terms of the wireless, the internet access, so the program requires um, initially for the tablet to be connected uh, wirelessly or, or you know, to the internet. But after it, that initial connection, uh, it does not need to be reconnected to the internet for the patient to continue to do the program. Um, and when they do reconnect, then everything is synced uh, with the Hinge Health servers but it's, it's not necessary. Um, and then the communication that the user does with the coach is oftentimes through text message, which is extremely prevalent, even in lower socioeconomic uh, populations. So I don't think that that's a barrier or they can use email or whatever the, the uh, user's preferred method is. But I think that this kind of program is now widely applicable to the broader uh, population, whatever socioeconomic status they they may be in. And of course, the, the last thing I would point out is that, you know, from an education point of view, I think whatever socioeconomic status somebody is in, there are some very common uh, misconceptions, say, about the danger of moving when you have severe pain or um, you know, just the uh, appropriate ways to cope. But all of our education is written at a level that is easily understandable by people, even if they don't have a lot of formal education. I think all of the messages are, are very straightforward. So overall, I would say, um, yes, I think the, the program is broadly applicable. And, and I think the last thing I would point out is that the people who have engaged are from a wide variety of backgrounds. So we have partner with uh, employer clients is typically the way that we we reach uh, participants in the program. And we have everyone from office workers to truck drivers to factory workers, uh, a very wide range of, of jobs. And so um, I, I think that also is another indicator that the program is is broadly applicable. Are there plans to expand to different languages or is it only available in English right now? We are working on Spanish uh, as well right now. So we have Spanish-speaking um, health coaches, um, and we are currently translating everything to Spanish so that uh, monolingual Spanish speakers will be able to participate in the program in the future. That's currently in process, and, and then we'll have to see what the demand is for other languages after that. Your study demonstrated an association between improved musculoskeletal pain and lower rates of depression and anxiety, as you mentioned, over the 12-week time frame. And due to the lack of longitudinal studies on digital care programs, are you concerned at all about long-term effects of minimized human-to-human -human contact among those with chronic pain? Because, as you said, this population does have higher rates of depression and anxiety in general. No, I, I don't feel like this is going to, to reduce anybody's contact. Um, so I would say first, we're providing a human health coach for the, to, to in part because that is one form of social support, which is so important to people's recovery. Um, we, we look at lifestyle medicine uh, broadly in terms of the, the different aspects of lifestyle medicine are 
are all really important for recovery from chronic pain. And one of those aspects of lifestyle medicine is social support. So the coach, him or herself, is a form of social support uh, for the, the participant in the program. But then a key message that we reinforce throughout the program is the importance of finding people in your life and uh, who are supportive of you and about maintaining meaningful relationships uh, and the importance that that has in someone's overall health and ultimately in, in reducing their pain. I think the message of the program is certainly that we are social creatures and we need to maintain those relationships which are important in our lives. I guess the last thing I would say is that we also have uh, a social component uh, in the program itself. So everybody who participates is put in a group of other participants. And so they have uh, ongoing discussions about things that are important to them. So there's social support that's built in there. And then we are uh, we also have uh, groups that people can form based on common interests, say you know, mothers with back pain or runners with knee pain or something like that. And so I think that also helps to um, sort of generate a community. But but I, I, I think big picture, this is, I, I don't see these kinds of digital health solutions necessarily uh, reducing the social contact that people have. I think it's just uh, uh, one more tool to help them in their recovery. And if it's messages like our program, it certainly is stressing the importance of social contact. And what are the next steps for this DCP? So as I mentioned, we've expanded into hip, shoulder, and neck uh, because between those plus back and knee, that's covering about 75% of, uh, of people with chronic uh, musculoskeletal pain conditions. We are working all the time to make the program more effective, um, to uh, make various improvements that uh, people ask us for, such as you know working to improve the the groups and the social support functionality. There's a lot we can do uh, that we've already started working on in terms of prevention. So before someone actually has the chronic pain, um, what can we do to to uh, help them to lead a healthy lifestyle so that they don't get it? And then um, also looking farther down the MSK continuum, uh, thinking about perisurgical care, whether that's prehab or postoperative rehabilitation um, is something that is, um, I think, also important to our clients and would allow us to uh, sort of fill out the whole uh, musculoskeletal continuum, if you will. Do you have any final thoughts or any topics you want to touch on before we wrap things up? I would just say that I, I think these types of programs uh, ultimately will be a great complement to traditional clinical care. And I know I see personally all the time, I think, you know, wouldn't it be great if my, my patients that I see in clinic had access to this type of program? And uh, I think they're very complementary. And at this point, I know in throughout much of the healthcare system, uh, in a fee-for-service model, um, this type of program, which is, uh, I think, a cost-saving program, isn't widely available. But, um, you know, I really hope that that's what we see in the future, is this kind of merging between the digital health programs that like this, which are, are quite effective, and the traditional uh, clinical model that we've had historically. Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today, Dr. Krauss. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much.
To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.